In Matthew's gospel, he records for us the interesting fact that even after Jesus was dead, we have soldiers sent to try to stop his body from coming out of the grave. When you study the Bible, we see that man has attempted to stop Jesus from the very beginning. When Jesus was born, the king sends out his soldiers to slaughter all the boys in the land under the age of three in hopes that one of those boys would be Jesus and that Jesus would be killed. Even from his birth, we see people trying to stop him. Then when Jesus begins his ministry at about the age of 30, as early as John chapter 2, we see Jesus walk into the temple, cleanse the temple, call out all the, the hypocrisy that's happening in the temple, and basically say, y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. You've turned the house of God into a place to make profit. You're, you're, you're peddling the, the house of God and the things of God to get rich off of the poor. And we see Jesus drive these people out of the temple. And immediately, there becomes this rift between the religious leaders of the day and Jesus. And Jesus says to him in John chapter 2, tear this building down or this temple down and I'll raise it up in three days. And he was referencing his own body. Immediately, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Sadducees, those are all words for religious leaders. Immediately, all the religious leaders begin conspiring to stop Jesus. The truth is, that is ultimately what the cross was about from a human standpoint. So from a, you know, if you've been in church most of your life, you know that from a divine standpoint, from a heavenly point of view, from God's point of view, the cross was about our redemption. The cross is where the blood of Jesus was spilled to atone for our sins. But listen to me carefully. That is not what the people who were crucifying him thought. From a human standpoint, the purpose of the cross was to stop Jesus. That was the purpose of it. They conspired together to shut him up. And then even after he's dead, as we just read, we've got soldiers who take a tomb, seal, the, uh, seal it with a, uh, a huge stone, and then we have armed guards guarding the tomb to keep Jesus in. Why has there been such a concerted effort to stop Jesus? Why? And I would ask it this way, in a very personal way. Why do you stop what Jesus wants to do in your life? You will find that the real answer is the same answer as to why were they constantly trying to stop Jesus? And that answer is this. 
We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want a God telling us what is right and what is wrong. What we truly desire is a little God that does what we tell him to do when we decide we need him to do something. That's what we want. Instinctively, that is what the human heart desires is a little tiny God that they can get out of a box and use to their benefit when they want, how they want, but they do not want a divine God that says, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life, it is my way or no way, it is that 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 defining moment where God says, I am God and I am God all alone and you will either follow me or you will split hell wide open. The choice is yours. It is that that our hearts say no to. And we try to stop this Jesus. But what I have to point out this morning, what we, what we must come to grips with, and this is where I ask you to reason with me, is that Jesus is unstoppable. There is no stopping Jesus. Jesus demonstrated that all of hell can conspire with all of evil religion, with all of Rome and the government, with all of the Gentiles and the pagans. It can all conspire together to kill the spotless lamb of God you can put us you can seal a rock over the tomb you can guard it with soldiers with that, that are armed soldiers but all by himself Jesus is going to be unstoppable and he's going to defeat it all now this is important this morning to you who have not yet truly truly surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I asked the question this way, what will you do when this unstoppable God comes for you? What will you do when your time comes and you must face Him face to face and give an account for your life? What will you do when you stand in front of this unstoppable God? The reality is that at any cost, we want to send him away. The Bible tells us that the light came into darkness and the darkness ultimately that the men rejected the light because we love the darkness in our heart more than we love the light. That's the real reason we reject the Lord. That's the real reason we reject Jesus Christ is because we love the darkness more than we love the light. But what will you do when you have no option but to stand face to face with Him? Consider the reality that even with all that was done to stop Jesus, He cannot be stopped. He will not be stopped. He is God above all other gods. This is what separates Jesus from all other gods. 
Little G's. It is the ignorant fool who says to himself, really all the religions are the same and ultimately we're all worshiping the same God. No, we're not. Muhammad is still dead. Buddha is still dead. We could go through the list and name the top ten most uh, influential religious leaders in world history other than Jesus. And guess what? They are all still dead. The resurrection of Jesus sets him apart from all others for all time. Therefore, he can proclaim, and he alone can proclaim, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's not one of many ways. He's not just the best option of a handful of options. He is the way, the life, the truth. There is no other way except through Jesus Christ. And he's proven it through the resurrection of the dead. He has proven it through defeating death, hell, and the grave. Either you get right with God or you will get destroyed. I don't say this, you know, like trying to scare people out of hell. I say this because I care. I don't want anybody to be destroyed. And far more important than what Pastor Joplin wants, God does not want you to be destroyed. This is why Jesus died. So that we could have a path to God. So that our sins could be forgiven. That that, that our wrong could be made right. So that our debt could be paid. This is why he died. God stands with arms wide open and says, All of you that are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. God stands with arms wide open and says, All you who thirst, come to me and drink and you will never thirst again. But see, the choice is ours. There's a decision to be made in the depth of your soul. It's deeper than just some mental decision. Decide, I'm going to start going to church. You can go to church the rest of your life and still split hell wide open. It is about turning your heart truly and sincerely and entirely over to the Lord. You can join forces with the rest of the world and refuse to submit to God. You can build your alliances. You can join your groups. You can bind together, desperately trying to convince one another that somehow, in the end, you're all going to be okay. Somehow you get to override God. That somehow you get to determine what is true and what is false. That somehow you get to decide what is right and what is wrong. But in the end, you will be destroyed. Because... The Lord Jesus is unstoppable. He will not be stopped. God has demonstrated this over and over and over and over again. That's what we celebrate as Christians this morning is the miracle of Easter that our God cannot be stopped. He has defeated death. He has risen from the grave. Who is this God? 
that rises from the dead. I'll tell you one thing. I would absolutely be terrified to be an enemy of his. Who is this God? Do you know him? I want to tell you this morning that when Jesus rose from the grave, when Jesus went to the cross and was buried and resurrected, it wasn't just to prove that he is God. Now, it certainly proves that. Last year, I spent the entire Easter morning dealing with the facts that prove the resurrection. I'm not going to do that today. I will tell you this. From a purely historical point of view, it really is one of the most provable things in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People who reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they don't do it based upon factual data. They don't do it based upon reasoning or common sense. They reject it for one reason and one reason only, and that is people hate a God that demands absolute authority in their life. And so the goal is to kill Jesus. But his death, his burial, and his resurrection are some of the most provable things in human history. And they clearly demonstrate he is God. There is none like him. But I want to say this again. He didn't do it just to prove he's God. Jesus wasn't up there thinking, I'm so, my little feelings are hurt because nobody believes I'm God. I'm going to go prove a point. That was not the motive. While it certainly proves that he's God, that was not the motive. The reason that Jesus got up out of the grave, folks, is that so you and I can get up out of our grave. The reason that he died was so that our sins could be atoned for. So that when I stand before God and God says, what is the account? How have you paid? How have you made things right? The answer is the blood of Jesus atoned for my sins. And he took all that was wrong and all that was evil and all that was sinful and he took it to the grave. And then he rose up out of that grave demonstrating that he's God and demonstrating he has the power to give new life. And you need to hear that this morning. God has the power to give you new life. God has the power to absolutely, radically transform your life. And I'm going to tell you about him transforming mine in just a moment. To the church this morning, I want to say that we need a renewed vision of the resurrected Christ. Our king is a conquering king, folks. Jesus isn't up there somewhere timid and all nervous about what's happening on the earth and kind of concerned about, you know, the, 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 the weakness of the current situation of our country or the church or wars going on. Jesus isn't up there scared, shaking in his boots, just kind of wondering what's going to happen. In fact, when you read Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says of himself that he, he is the one who has died and is now alive forevermore. He holds the keys of death and Haiti. That is our king, folks. And it would do us a good 
thing in the church again to have a vision of our resurrected king who has conquered death, who is unstoppable, who all the nations of the earth cannot stop, will not defeat, because our king is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of glory, and we need to be reminded of that. You know, the Bible says that we as Christians, that word Christian, first used in the book of Acts, what it literally means is Christ-like. And I want to submit to you that if we are truly Christ-like, that means that we are more than conquerors. You know, that's what Romans 8 tells us, that you are more than a conqueror. Speaking of the church, if you're not saved this morning, you're not a Christian, you're not more than a conqueror. You are, you are destined to destruction and death and eternity and hell. Lest you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. But for the saved this morning, you're, we're, we are more than conquerors. And we should walk with a little bit of that umph in our step. We need to be humble. We need to be uh, people who walk with humility. We need to be compassionate. We need to be tender. We need to be caring. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. We don't need to be weak. We need to walk with a sense of we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Our King is the King of kings and Lord of lords. My Savior is the one who conquered death. He conquered Hades. He is the one who defeated Satan. He is the one who's coming back. And therefore, I got a sense of confidence in my walk. I, have, I got a sense of peace in my heart because my God is God over all. Fear not, church. So I want to reason. I want to reason with those of you that are here this morning, and, and the truth is you're not, you're, you're not truly right with God. You're not serving God. You don't have a deep love for the things of God. I'm not trying to be belittle you. I cannot say it enough. Thank you for being here. So I'm actually, I want to help. That's what I want to do. I want to help. So I want to ask you again. I'm asking you to reason with me. What, what do you think is going to happen to you? If you continue to resist this unstoppable God. What do you think will become of you? If you continue to persist in your sins and in your way, doing what you want, how you want, when you want. Let me ask this question. Why do you persist in your sins? Why do you still say no to Jesus? You know, for me, I'll tell you about me. I, um, most of my life, at least the first 20 years of my life, I didn't really believe in God. I was what you might call an agnostic. What that means is that I wasn't really a full-blown atheist that didn't believe there was no such thing as God, but I'm like, we can't know. 
and all the gods are the same, and all the people of the earth, everyone thinks they have a God. And for me, I just kind of thought God was like a crutch that people needed to get through hard times. But I just, I didn't really believe, I certainly didn't believe in the God of the Bible. And for me, when I looked at the church, What I saw, when I thought about God, when I thought about Jesus, when I thought about faith, what I saw was a prison cell. That's what it looked like to me, a prison cell. A whole list of thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not have any fun, just a bunch of thou shalt nots. And I'm like, I don't want that. And then the list of things you're supposed to do, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that either. The idea of even like going to church was just like, bleh. And can we be honest? I'm going to be honest. I got the floor. So I, I wasn't raised in church. I did not have a lot of church experiences. Let's just keep that in mind when I'm about to say what I say. I had only been to church maybe three or four times in my life after I had maybe stayed the night with a friend or something whose parents went to church. So just take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. But the Christianity that I had been exposed to was utterly powerless and boring. The services were terrible. The preacher had no authority whatsoever. There wasn't any expectation that anything was going to happen at church. And I'm like, so does servant servant God means I have to commit to that like every week the rest of my life? No, I don't want that. Listen to me carefully. The devil is a liar. And on one hand, my experience, it really was accurate. I'm telling you, after 20 years of a radically transformed life, I'm telling you, even my view of those churches I went to, I do not take it back. It's the truth. Powerless. Empty of the moving of the Holy Ghost. Empty of life change. But you know what I came to see? That's not New Testament Christianity, folks. I want to tell you what happened to me, and I'm going to let you go this morning. I got to a place in my life where I was so sick of my life that I was ready to die. I was... I was allowed a lifestyle with no restraint. And that's just not healthy for any of us. And at about 14, 15 years old, I started using drugs. I started hanging out with the wrong crowd. And by the time I was 16, I was selling drugs. And I was selling a lot of them. By the time I was 18, as a senior in high school, I was constantly messed up. I don't know for a fact, because back in high school, I didn't keep a checklist. All I can tell you is that I stand here before God, 
and I stand before you as my honest opinion and my recollection that during my senior year in high school, I never went to school one single day of my life where I wasn't high and I didn't bring drugs with me into the school. Because I had to get high before school, and then I had to get high at 10, and then I had to get high at 2, and then I had to get high right afterwards. Shortly after graduating, I started using needles. I'm ashamed of that. I don't like telling the story, but you need to understand where I was at. And by the time I was 20 years old, I got to the place where I'm just like, I hate my life. I don't see any other way. I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't have any good influence. I didn't have Christian uncles, aunts, grandparents. I had absolutely nobody to lead me. My life seemed hopeless. I was destined to be some loser, 55, 60-year-old man that was still selling dope. And I'm like, I don't want to live that life. It's just not who I want to be. And so the only rational decision was to kill myself. And as I lay there that morning, sincerely considering killing myself, this wild thought pops into my head. What if hell is real? Because here's what I knew. If hell was real, and if this was true, I was going to hell. I knew it. I wasn't deceived about who I was. I didn't think God owed me anything. I knew that I was one of the worst people that there was, and that I deserved hell. I just wasn't real sure if hell was real. And so I thought, man, you better figure that out, dude, before you just end your life. And you might think this is crazy, but I didn't know what else to do. I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick up this book, and I'm going to find something I can prove in here is a lie. And then I'll know this isn't God. Except for I just had a little tiny orange one, and it started in the New Testament. And I started reading the Bible. And I read Matthew chapter 1, and it's a super boring read, folks. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. (laughs) As I stand before God, I'm telling you the truth right now. This is what happened in my life. I get through Matthew chapter 1, I keep reading, I get to Matthew chapter 2, and I hear that Jesus is born of a virgin. And I thought to myself, hmm... I can't prove that's not true. This book makes claims of supernatural things happening, but I can't prove that it's not true. I can think it's stupid. I can think it's stupid you believe it, but I cannot prove that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. So I'm going to keep on reading, and I get to Matthew chapter 3, and Jesus is baptized by John, and supposedly a voice comes from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit in the form of a dove comes and sits on his shoulder. And this guy's thinking, wow. Wow. People really believe this stuff. But I can't prove it to be false. And so then I get to Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus is in the wilderness with the devil after fasting for 40 days. And they're having some weird conversation. And I'm just like, this is nuts. And then I get to Matthew chapter 5, and it's the first time in my life that I ever considered what Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins to teach, and I remember immediately thinking, whoa, I didn't know Jesus said these things. This is actually kind of cool. He's calling the religious leaders, you know, hypocrites. He's telling everybody that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of these false hypocrites, you will in no wise enter heaven. 
He's saying, you know, you all are like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I'm telling you, forgive your enemies. Do good to those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And I'm like, this is actually pretty good stuff. And I got to Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus said this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. To him who seeks, he finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And I can't tell you how I knew, folks, but I just knew that I knew that I knew that I knew. I could prove that, true or false. That was the first promise that was made that I could prove to be true or false. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for everyone who asks, receives. I knew that that was a promise I could prove true or false. And I knelt right there on my knees and I prayed for the first time in my life. I said, God, if you're real, if you exist, and if you have ears to hear, this is what came out of my mouth. I'm asking you to show yourself to me in 30 days. Man, I don't know where 30 days came from. I was just like, I wasn't going to get trapped in some stupid 30-year program where I'm constantly seeking God to find out he didn't exist. Like, this was real to me. I had to know if God was God or not, and if he wasn't, I was ready to end my life. So that, it came out of my mouth, and I, here's what I knew. The promise was you had to seek and you had to knock. And I couldn't claim that I was really seeking God, and I couldn't claim I was really knocking if I didn't try to change things in my life, at least for 30 days, and if I didn't start going to church. So I tried to do the, quit doing the things I thought bad people needed to quit doing, and I tried to start doing the good things I thought good people were supposed to do. I'll never forget, I went to a church the very first uh, Sunday, and I came in through the back door, and sitting up here, it wasn't this building, but it was my own hometown, sitting up here in this area on the right was a friend of mine that I've been friends with for two or three years. We partied together at least ten different Fridays every year, and I'll never forget the terror on her face when I walked in, because she was sitting by her mom, and she didn't want her mom to know that we were friends. I was a convicted felon. I'm ashamed to say that. Two fairly large felonies. The whole world knew that I was a drug dealer. The whole world knew my family. But I'm telling you something. I was truly seeking God at that time in my life. And I'll never forget what it was like to walk in a door and, be, and have someone pretend they didn't know me because they were ashamed that their mom would know the truth about them. And it was such a weird feeling because I wasn't even sure what I believed about God yet. But I will never forget this thought that I thought sitting in the back of that church that morning. Here's what I thought. I don't even know if God is real, but somehow he seems more real to me than he does to these people. The next week, I went to a very similar situation in my hometown, different church, but very similar situation with a young guy that pretended he didn't know me. And I was like, I was so mad, but there was something that came across me that's like, dude, you just need to go somewhere where everyone don't know your story, Joplin. You need to go somewhere where everyone don't know your history. They don't know your criminal record. They don't know that you've been dealing dope for the last four years. You need to go somewhere people don't know who you are. And so I went to a church service the next week, and I said, I believe right on the front row, and as I was getting ready to leave, there was an old lady that tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, son, is this the first time you've ever been here? And I said, yes, ma'am, it is. This is all she said to me. She said, would you please come back? She was 82 years old, and I was 20. This is 2000. 
So right at the end of the 90s, I'm dressed in a full oversized FUBU shirt. I've got the huge Jinko jeans on with Asian letters running down the side. I've got long hair. I've got a tongue ring in. I've got earrings. I look like a gangster, and I wanted to be treated like one. Because I was on a mission to prove there was no God. And that this is all garbage. And ultimately kill myself once it was done. And that old lady invited me to church and did something to me. Because I had become the kid that you do not want in church. You do not invite to come back around. You stay away from. And I remember leaving and it just felt so weird. I'm like, what's this old lady doing inviting me to church? And here's all I knew. I wanted to go back for her. Couldn't wait to get back. And I went back, and that day when I went back, the next service, there was a preacher that was preaching. And all I can tell you is he preached with a way that I didn't know was possible. He had a certain conviction about him, and I, I don't know how to say this other than this. There's a certain threshold when we cross that you cannot speak with that type of passion and that type of intensity about something you don't believe. And I just knew, I'm like, man, that dude believes this book. That mattered to me. I knew hundreds of people who said they believed this book, but I had never met a single one in all the days of my life that I was convinced believed this book. And I'm watching that guy preach, and I'm like, dude, he actually thinks this is real. And you know what? I respected him for it. I didn't agree with him yet. I didn't think it was real yet. But I had enough respect for the man that I knew he wasn't a liar, and I knew he wasn't a fraud, and so I wanted to give him my full attention. And he came off the stage. He came down the stage, and he was just preaching, and he was just walking. And I was sitting about right where my wife is right now. And when, I, when he got to about here, he was about a second and a half from me. And I saw something in his eyes that changed my life forever. This is really the only part of my story that gets weird. But here I stand 22 years later, and I'm telling you it happened. I saw something physically in his eyes. What I saw, the best way I can explain it is this. I saw love for people in such a deep and sincere way I'd never seen it before. Hatred for what is evil because of what it does to these people he loved. Compassion for people that had been hurt. And if you could take all of those things and somehow put them in a little tiny flame. I literally saw flames in his eyes. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you I saw it. And he walked past me. I only saw it for like a second and a half. And as he walked past me, all I could think is, what did I just see? I wanted him to turn around so that I could see it again. And he eventually did turn around. And guess what? I didn't see it again. It was, everything was normal again. And you might think this sounds funny. I'm just being honest with you. One of my first thoughts was, well, I wonder if I'm having a flashback. That was one of my thoughts. Because what I saw wasn't natural. And, And in my mind, I couldn't really process what's happening. But I knew what a flashback was, and I knew that that wasn't it. 
And as I'm sitting there trying to process, what's happening, dude? What is going, what's going on right now? I felt a stirring in my soul that I had never felt before. It's as if my heart, my mind were being awakened to the reality that maybe there is such a thing as a real God. And here's what I thought. I thought, I don't know what that man has, but whatever he has, I want it. That's what I thought. And when I thought that out, I thought that in my mind, I heard these words, not audibly, but I heard this spoken back to me. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. To him who seeks, he will find. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. And I literally heard God speak right back to me the very scripture that I was trying to use to prove that he didn't exist. I'm going to tell you something. I went from unbelief to belief like that. I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that the God of this book is God. And it dawned on me that he heard me praying four weeks earlier. And I thought to myself, whoa. So if God could see me there in my room and he heard me, that means he's seen everything I've ever done. And it terrified me. I literally started trembling in fear at the thought that God had seen everything I'd done. And then I thought to myself, God, why would you not just let someone like me die? Why not just let me kill myself? I'm like the worst human on earth. And I didn't hear God speak. But I'm telling you, I knew it. Like, I didn't hear God speak the answer, and I can't tell you how I knew the answer, but here was the answer. It was because he loved me. And when I realized that God loved me, I just, I came unglued. I just started weeping. I was sitting up here on the front row, and I'm just weeping my eyes out, and the preacher has like 10 minutes left. He keeps preaching. I have no idea what he preached from that point forward. But here's what I knew. I knew that God was God. And for the first time in my life, I knew that he was good. And I knew that he loved me. And I knew that I wanted to follow him. I knew it all. And I went forward that day. And folks, I didn't know the sinner's prayer. I didn't even know I could be forgiven. I wasn't making some deal with God. All right, God, I'll change if you save me. No, no, no. I'm telling you, I know the position of my heart. I would have served him the rest of my life and split hell wide open if I had to. He was God and he deserved to be served and I was serving him, no deal or not. He was God. That was the position of my heart. And I went forward and I prayed and all I prayed was, God, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't know what else to say. I didn't even know I could be forgiven. 22 years of studying the Word of God and learning theology, you know what I see in that moment? I see that I acknowledged He was God. That's what I see. I see that my heart changed and I wanted to honor Him. I see that I was broken for my sins because I was truly sorry. That's repentance. And I had made up my mind and my heart. I was turning to follow Him. And I had confessed that the best way I knew how to get it out, which was under the words, I'm sorry. And the God who does not look on the outward appearance but looks on the heart of man, he saw a young boy or a young man who's 20 years old whose heart was as sincere as it could possibly be and God radically transformed my life in that moment and I've never been the same. Now I want to leave you with this. 
I told you, so, so why do we keep God away? Many times it's for the same reasons I said. Like we think, well, it's going to be terrible. Church is going to be boring. Church is boring, then find a different church where the Holy Ghost is moving and you are stirred in the depth of your soul when the word of God is preached. And you'll find something. It's not what you thought it was. It's not boring. You know what I discovered? I discovered that Christianity was not a ball and chain. I discovered that I was deceived and really my previous life was a ball and chain. I was, I was absolutely in prison beforehand. I couldn't get over myself. I couldn't fix things. I couldn't change things. But when God saved me, he gave me a new heart. He gave me new desires. And it was the weirdest thing. It's like now all I want to do is be around God's people. Now I want to go to church. I want to read the word. I don't want to do those old things that I was doing. I'm going to ask our worship team if you guys would get in place. So what about you this morning? Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Either you will bow the knee to him here in this life and be saved. Or you will bow the knee. The Bible tells us eventually there will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. But if you wait until it's too late, you're going to be destroyed forever in what the Bible calls hell. Especially to those of you who are not regular church attenders. I cannot say it enough. Thank you for being here this morning. I really, 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 truly pray you feel wanted here and welcomed here, even though this preacher says some hard things to hear. I hope that you can tell I really do care. And I didn't want to waste your time when you showed up this morning. I wanted you to have your heart stirred by the truth of God's word. I wanted you to have some degree of knowing in the depth of your soul that God knows where you're at, that God loves you, and that God is good. That he has the power to change your life. But I've asked you to reason with me several times. I want you to reason with me. If, if, you aren't typically a regular church attender, if, would you agree with me that there's a real good chance this is the last time in your life you're ever going to be stirred like you are right now? God's dealing with your heart that you know it and he knows that there's some stuff in your life that it's time to change and you know it what are the chances that if you leave these doors and you don't deal with that this morning that this is the last time in your life God's going to deal with you so straight like he did today it's a real possibility. And so I, I plead with you. I plead with you. Come to Jesus this morning. 
So what does that mean? I'm going to give it to you real simple. Here's what it means. Coming to Jesus simply means an honest and sincere heart that's willing to turn from your sinful ways and begin following God. And one of the first steps in that is being willing to simply kneel before God and pray and tell God, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Save me. Lord, I'm going to follow you from this day forward to the best I know how. It's a decision that happens here. It's a decision that only you can make. That's the awesome thing about God. Nobody can make that decision. 